Speaking of looking ahead, let me show you a fun little picture here. That is my uh, one-year-old granddaughter who is wearing a very important shirt. Can you read it? Yes, big sister. So we get number two on the way, and may multiplication continue in in the family. So I was uh, excited to have Will and Danielle, that's her parents, uh, with us, and Hattie with us. But then long before I knew they were coming, I had already committed to do chapel for the Jaguars last night. So about 9 o'clock, I'm downtown at the Omni. And it's a volunteer chapel. Anybody who wants to come, there's maybe 15, 20 guys in the room. Anthony Johnson, the chaplain, introduces me to one of the offensive linemen, Tyler Shatley, and says, Tyler, why don't you introduce Doug? So he turns to me and says, so tell me something cool about yourself. Yeah, that's what I, uh, I had nothing. And he quickly goes, that's all right, I'll just make something up. So I didn't think anything more about it. A few minutes after mingling, Tyler stands up and says, okay, guys, uh, we want to get started. We have a guest speaker tonight. His name is Doug Rutt, former CIA agent, gave it all up to follow Jesus. (laughs) Doug, come bring us wisdom. And so I was on. Now, that would be a really cool story, except it's not true. But you ever thought about your own story and you go, somebody goes, tell me a cool story. And you're like, uh, you know, I'm just, it's boring. And I thought that'd be really awesome. And there's a funny rest of the story that I can't tell you right now, but hilarious at the end of thinking I'm a C, former CIA agent, which I'm not, by the way. But some people do have those cool stories. Maybe you're one of them. Most of us have pretty normal stories, but some are super, super cool, including the one we find in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, because there we find, by faith, Rahab the harlot, so the prostitute. Wow, okay, this is a pretty dramatic story. This is CIA agent level type story. Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had done what? Welcomed the spies. See, it even gets cooler. She welcomes the spies in peace. Now, what we have to remember is Hebrews 11 was written for, remember this statement? Hebrews 10 type people. In other words, people who were under the gun for their faith. They were suffering, they were losing their property, losing their families, and some were, watch, losing confidence in God because of it. So the writer says, I'm going to write Hebrews 11 to encourage them not to lose confidence in God. Here's a cool story that will encourage them. Rahab, the harlot, the prostitute didn't perish along with us to the disobedient when she hid the spies. So there's all sorts of insider information, assumed knowledge that an outsider might go, "Uh, I don't really know what you're talking about. Some of us do, some of us don't. So I want to encourage us to go back and look at the account historically of what The writer is summarizing here in verse 31 because there is a great story about faith and grace in Joshua 2 
that is summarized here. So if you go back to Joshua 2, if you have a Bible with you, if not, I'll put it up here. Joshua chapter 2 tells us the backstory to Rahab. Here's what it says. Then Joshua, who was now the leader of Israel, Moses has died, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, I've often thought, what in the world were the Israelite spies doing in a harlot's house? Ever wondered that? That sounds a little suspect, bad judgment. My reasoning is simply this. Who were they? What were they? Spies. So if you're trying to fly undercover and you're from out of town, it seems to me that what they're doing is when out of town guests come to Jericho, they go to the prostitute's place. One of our missionaries has shared with me what they experience in their setting is when people leave their village and they go to town, it's kind of understood that the men, when they go to town, they go visit the prostitute. So they're blending as out-of-town guests. It was told, the king of Jericho saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So they're trying to blend, but they've been exposed. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. In other words, they are here to do what? To destroy us. We need to stop them. But the woman had taken the two men and hid them and said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. True or false? False. We'll find out. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly for you'll overtake them. True or false? Yeah, that's false. See, we've, we discover that Rahab's not only a prostitute, she's actually a liar and a well-conceived lie. Yeah, they were here, can't deny that, but they're gone, and if you want to catch them, you might want to go that way. Are they going to catch them? <laughs> not if they go that way. Here's why. But she had brought the men up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. Now before they lay down, so this was before the men had come, here was the conversation. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, who you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For, watch this conclusion, the Lord your God, he is... God. Where? In heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, 
Please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Wow. So the men said to her, our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. In other words, we've got a deal. What was the summary? By faith, Rahab the harlot didn't perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Now, we've done this in the past, but I want to do it again. Every time we look at somebody who did something by faith, the first thing I've done is take us back to Hebrews 11.1 1 and say, let's make sure we know what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And repeatedly, I've wanted to lift up that faith has two core essentials. Things hoped for, paralleled by things not seen, and a second essential, assurance and conviction. To speak in very plain terms, truth has a component, uh, excuse me, faith has a component of truth, what the author says are the things hoped for. Not like I'm hoping for this for Christmas, but I'm hoping in what God has declared and promised. And though I don't see it, doesn't mean it isn't true. Are there some things that are true that you can't see? Yeah. We believe them to be true, not because our senses tell us they are true, but because God's word declares them to be true. There is truth in faith. It's the things hoped for because God has promised the things that he has said are true even though they are unseen. But there's a second component. Not only truth, there is action is the word that was right on your lips. There's truth and there is action. There is assurance and conviction that flows out of that truth. Both are beautifully perfectly displayed in Rahab. So let's start with the first one. Truth. Had Rahab heard about the one true God? Yes or no? Yes. Rahab had. Uh, so here's the way I like to see it. By the assurance of things hoped for in the conviction of the unseen, Rahab, the harlot, didn't perish. See, take the definition and put it in to what she did. So, Rahab had heard about God. What had she heard? She had heard about how God had supernaturally, by his grace, delivered Israel at the Red Sea. How God had supernaturally drowned the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. How God had supernaturally given them victory over the kings of the Amorites. She had heard multiple accounts of God. And his greatness. Question. Who else in Jericho had heard about God? 
It would seem, now, are we guessing here or is this in the text? It's actually in the text that Rahab had heard about God, but so had many others, maybe, maybe everybody, certainly many others had heard the very things that Rahab had heard. And that's what it says in the text. When, what? We heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So in other words, Rahab had heard, but so had lots of other folks. Faith is not just hearing truth. Faith is hearing truth, and what's the second core component? Acting on it. This this is important because... You and I are surrounded by people who have heard truth. Just like Rahab heard truth and her neighbors and the king of Jericho had heard truth. So what set Rahab apart? This is important. Next verse, verse 12. Now therefore. In other words, her, when she had truth, she had a therefore connected to it. Therefore, and then she asks for their mercy as she shows them mercy. So she hears truth, but what's unique about her hearing versus the hearing of others is that her faith had a, a therefore. She believed what she heard to be true, and she acted on it. So three Sundays ago, I don't know if you'll remember this, if you were here, but I think you probably will. Three Sundays ago, I asked what seemed like a silly question. You kind of laughed it off. You remember? I asked you. So how many of you think Hurricane Matthew is going to hit Jacksonville? Do you remember me asking that question? And you know how many of you raised your hand? How many of you were here and you raised your hand? How many of you think Hurricane Matthew hit Jacksonville? We heard it. We didn't believe it. And the proof three Sundays ago is that you didn't believe it was what? Was what? You hadn't done anything about it. How many of you, though, between Sunday morning when I asked the question and Thursday night had believed it? How many of you had believed it? Uh, the, the, rows of you, the rest of you didn't do anything? Yeah, you believed it. And so either you left town or you bought water or you bought a generator or, or you did something because you believed it. Some of you, like me, didn't believe it enough. I believed it, so I tied all my furniture out on my dock to my dock. It's still there, but my dock isn't. So somewhere... There's a dock with a bunch of furniture tied to it. I, I believed. I just didn't think it was going to be like that. Otherwise, I would have taken the furniture and carried it in. I wouldn't have tied it around some stupid pilings that were going to float away. See, when we believe, we 
We act. But here's the question. How do we act? Because I want to make sure, do you think the king of Jericho and the people of Jericho believed that God was great and that they were a threat to Jericho? Do you believe that? Do you think they believed that? I think so because they were like, we got to catch the spies, find out what's going on. They believed that, but they believed, watch this, they believed this was a kill or be killed, die or they die. Rahab believed something completely different. Rahab believed we're going to die. Unless what? (laughs) Unless we join them. You've heard the old phrase, if you can't beat them, join them. What what Rahab, see, it wasn't just that she believed that, that God was great and that he could destroy. What did she believe? He was going to. This wasn't a possibility. This was a, it was a promise. It was going to happen. They thought it might if we don't stop them. And she believed there's no stopping them. There's only joining them. See, there is reflected, not only in Rahab, I think, the clear expression of faith, of truth that leads to action, but but also the beauty of grace in her faith. See, she believed that she could get something that she didn't deserve. What, they deser- what Jericho deserved was to die. But I could get something. Grace, if you're not clear, grace is getting what I don't deserve. And the beauty of getting what you don't deserve in Rahab's faith is demonstrated in a few ways. First, You see that grace, and I'll explain this, grace is unleashed. Now, I use that word for a particular reason. Think of a leash. How many of you have a dog? My son, not only with his wife and their baby, came in a little Saturn, the three of them, and two German shepherds (laughs) to my house. I was interested in the grandbaby, not the German shepherds. So we had to deploy the leashes. Why did we deploy the leashes when the two German shepherds showed up? Because they run where they're not supposed to run, go where they're not supposed to go, and chew what they're not supposed to chew, unless they are leashed. In other words, you can run and, ha, no more. See, these are, you have one of these? I can let you go a foot. No, no more. Or I can let you go through. Nope, stop. I can stop you whenever I want to stop you. So run, ah, gotcha, just to push the button. This is all about control. And we, all of us, are prone to have grace leashed. In other words, where we think it should go and who should receive it. The irony is, Grace is giving someone what they don't 
deserve, but we come along and think, well, some people deserve what they don't deserve, and other people don't deserve what they don't deserve. We leash it. Explain if you're not following me. Rahab, as best we can tell, is the first recorded Gentile convert. In other words, grace in everybody's thinking thus far had been leashed to include who? Yeah, Jewish folks. You can go, go to Jewish folks, but whoop, we got to stop there. Grace got off the leash. And a Gentile woman was rescued. Does that matter to you at Christian Family Chapel? Well, only if you're a Gentile, uh, 99% of you. You realize that part of grace being unleashed is that grace has extended to us. Why? Why has grace been taken off the Jewish leash? It's too small a thing, the prophet Isaiah says, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. That's too what? It's too what? Too small. That's too small. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's a long leash. It's unleashed. See, grace is unleashed because a leash covers up. It limits the glory of our great God. And that's expressed in Rahab, a Gentile, being rescued by faith. But she's not just a Gentile. What else is she? She's a prostitute. She is embedded into the life of a wicked, corrupt, and depraved city. You understand what I mean by that? There are some who we would say, well, they're Gentiles, but they're at least good people. There's like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, who is referred to as a Gentile, but then his bio reads, devout man who fears God and continually prays. We think, oh, okay, we can, he, he deserves what he doesn't deserve. Rahab, on the other hand, would have not graduated as most likely to follow God. So if there's a person in Jericho that we think is going to get grace, it's not the prostitute, but it is. You understand what I'm saying? All of us have people in our lives that we have foolishly thought... Well, they're good people. I could see God saving them. That person, whew, they, they are so far gone. The irony is this. The closer we think we are to God, we are probably further than the person who we think is further. When Jesus went to the tax collector's house, Matthew's house. 
You know what people said about him? (laughs) Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? (laughs) What are they saying? (laughs) Hey, hey, you're off your leash. Jesus, what are you doing there? You're not allowed to eat. You're not supposed to be eating with those folks. And he gives a phenomenal answer to them. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, why, why didn't he come to call the righteous? Yeah, because they didn't need it, right? No. Because there weren't any. <laughs> right? Okay, let me do a quick call. All the righteous. Okay, we're done with that part. Now, to all the sinners. You see what I'm saying? Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous because there are none. There are only those who think they are, and those who think they are aren't listening. They're not looking for a doctor. They think they are, well, actually, I came for people who know they are sick, which brings us to Rahab. Did she think she was well or sick? Ah, She knew she was sick. What about us? How do you think of yourself? Well or sick? Using that analogy, I think we like to think of ourselves with the common cold. I mean, I'm not in perfect health. I could use a little bit better. But cancer? Now, I know some people at my office who have cancer. Spiritually speaking now. They need a doctor. I mean, I have a common cold. Jesus says, you can come for those folks. Not because they don't need me. (laughs) They don't think they need me. They're not listening. I'm here for people who know their Rahab. Upper middle America, our greatest stumbling block to the gospel is we think we only have a common cult. And therefore, we've been forgiven a little, and then we, right out of Jesus' mouth, therefore, what do we do? We love a little, because we've been forgiven a little. Grace, grace desperately needs to be unleashed, not just in the community, where? In my own heart, beginning with recognizing I'm no better than Rahab. I'm sick. I need a physician. I know a doctor drives him crazy. People come and say, I'm not feeling well, so he gives them medicine and things to do. And they take half of it and do none of it. It's kind of sometimes how we approach Jesus. I could use some help. Okay, I'll do some of that, but none of that. It's not a fault with the physician. It's a fault with the patient. It's an us Problem and how we see ourselves. 
The beauty of faith in Rahab is clear. She heard the truth and she acted on it, believing she didn't deserve it, but she could experience it. That's where, that's where we need to be. Not, not to go be more sinful. We're all plenty sinful. It's to see ourselves for who we really are and our thoughts, our actions, our motives, our relationships. To see the grace that has been unleashed that has saved us as well. Second expression of grace is that grace radically transforms. This is the beauty of grace in Rahab's life. It radically transformed her, yes? Yes, it radically changed her. It, it changed, first of all, her, her destiny. She, she was going to die in a destroyed city, and she is saved. And we, we all are facing, this is not an exaggeration, this is the truth of Scripture. Whether you will believe it or not, the truth of the Scripture is that you and I are all under a spiritual death penalty. And God has said, I so love the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, that is his son Jesus, they wouldn't perish. They wouldn't experience that spiritual death penalty but have eternal life. See, to believe in him first means I believe something about me. I'm not, I don't have a common cold. I am sick, desperate, in need of physician, someone who can save me. I believe in Christ who can do that. trying to be as clear as possible. Think of it this way. Every single one of us were born sick. So much that the Bible calls us dead. And we were walking through life this way, headed towards spiritual, under a spiritual death penalty. Christ paid the penalty and has offered for our eternal destiny to be radically changed. From going this way, to eternal perishing, to eternal life. Have you believed in Jesus? Is there, is there a point you know in your life where you recognize this about yourself and you turned and believed in Jesus and you were saved? I can still remember the night that was true in my life. And you remember you know that you know that your eternal destiny has been switched from perishing to eternal life through believing in Jesus. If you're not sure about that, then no offense, but forget the Jags at one o'clock and have a conversation with myself, someone that you trust, shoot me a note, an email. Say, I'm not sure. I've had this, these conversations. I met a couple, uh, re-met a couple today. 
sitting right back here, a number of years ago, came to my office concerned for their family, talked to them about their spiritual condition, and then and there made a decision to trust in Jesus, be born again. So that might be your story. Attending church, but not born again. That might be you. But it didn't just change her eternal destiny. It changed her individual life. Radically. The the transforming power of God's grace in Rahab's life, so powerful. she, She was a prostitute who ends up marrying, giving up prostitution and marrying a Jewish man. Salmon, maybe a great fisherman or something. And they together then have a son, Boaz, who marries Ruth, who is a book in the Bible. That's a, that's a long way from the prostitution days, folks. Mother-in-law to uh, the lady in the Bible, Ruth. And she becomes the great-grandfather of Jesse, the father of King David. Folks, this is the stuff they make movies about. This is the radical transformation of grace. And it's intended to happen to all who have experienced grace. If anyone is in Christ, they've believed in Jesus, admitting they were deserving his wrath, but trusting in him to be saved. If anyone is in Christ, he is a, a new creature. What's happening? Old things passed away. New things have come. I want to I say as clearly and accurately, honestly, to you that the scripture says to us, If there is not a transformation of grace happening in our lives, we have every reason to question whether we've ever been born again or not. Whether we're in Christ. Grace is not something that transforms a select few. Grace transforms the human heart from the inside out. And I'm not here to go, well, there was this much change, that wasn't enough. That is for the Lord to decide. Always will be. I'm not going to make that judgment. But nor am I going to shrink back that the scripture says a tree is known by its fruit. That grace changes. Things that we used to say and do and think and want They're passing away, and there are new things that I say, new things that I do, new things that I want because I have a new Father with the Spirit of God living in me. I am now the body of Christ, and He is living out His purposes and His desires through this body on this planet. And if that is not the transformation that's happening, I have every reason to question whether I'm in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, you're a new creature, old Old's passing away. It's not instantaneous. It's a progressive process, but it's passing away. New stuff is showing up in your head, out of your mouth, in your life, and in your relationships. Beautiful what happened. Sorry. Sounded like Donald Trump there just caught me. Uh, beautiful. When I said the word beautiful, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, not be- it's a beautiful thing. And we've heard that too much. It's a beautiful thing. You know it. I well know it. Just 
Moving on. An entire family transformed by grace. <laughs> Not only a, an eternal destiny, and an entire, an individual life, but an entire family. Mom, dad, brother, sister, niece, nephew. Part of the joyful conversation before this hour began was in speaking to this couple and being introduced to their three kids was hearing the fact that they had come to my office because of concern for their parents, recognized they weren't in relationship with God, born again, and then they said to me, hey, we came for that purpose, but now my mom and dad are both walking with Jesus. They've been transformed by grace as well. See, this is, this is stuff that still happens. And I, I share that to encourage you because some of you are the only people of faith in your family. And you think, will anything ever change? Remember this. Every family has a first person of faith. But rarely do families stay with only a one person of faith. Grace, grace multiplies. Not always the way we want, rarely as fast as we want. But this is why, this is why, and I share this because I know that in our body we have men and women who are married to folks who have not been born again. And you wonder, how long can I stay in this marriage relationship, married to somebody who's not been redeemed? And the, Paul says, if they're willing to stay, believer, you stay, and here's why. For how do you know, O oh wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O oh husband, whether you'll save your wife? Now, will you save them? No, you won't save them. It will be the transforming work of grace in your life so visible that who knows whether they won't see it and embrace it themselves. Mom, don't give up. Husband, wife, don't bail out. There's always a first. And so often, there's more. Radical transformation. Individually, eternally, and family-wise. Joshua 2.10 says this, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Who's saying that? That was Rahab who said that. Do you know when that happened in comparison to when she said it? Forty years. That's a 40-year-old story that still brought transforming grace to Rahab. It's quite possible that when it happened, Rahab wasn't even born yet. But it was a story being told of God's grace that 40 years later is changing. Not just in an individual, but an entire family. I say that all to say this. Grace never grows old. Doesn't grow old. I want you to do something while you're writing. Will you write down how you've experienced God's grace in your life? 
And you might be tempted to think, oh, that was a long time ago. Doesn't grow old. It's not the question how long ago, is it? The question is, are you still talking about it? Because that's what changed Rahab. It was something... Here's what's funny. A bunch of non-believers were still bragging on the grace of God to the Israelites. And she believed and said, I want to join them. So when I was at the Jags last night, I had this awful reality. These people are my kids' age. I'm like the old man in the room. And not a CIA agent either. But grace doesn't grow old. So I could tell a story of God's grace. I want us to declare God's grace together. So here's what we're going to do. You can close up what you've been writing. And we're going to read some scripture together from Titus. And then we're going to declare together in song our belief in God's grace. So it's an opportunity for you to declare it if you desire. You don't have to, but I invite you. So let's stand together and let's read and sing.